webster clay and calhoun from history plays for the grammar grades by mary ella ling this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org narration read by abai ezekiel webster read by maria therese daniel webster read by jeff machado father read by lambda henry clay read by amanda friday member of house read by francis brown member of congress read by tricia g john calhoun read by ariel lipshaw heinous read by christine g mr president read by charlotte duckett webster clay and calhoun introduction we are going to tell you the story of webster clay and calhoun daniel webster was born in new hampshire in seventeen eighty two he was a very weakly child no one thought that some day he would have an iron body he spent most of his time playing in the woods and fields he loved the animals that he found there he had a brother named ezekiel one day as they were walking through the field they noticed that some of the cabbage had been eaten so they planned to catch the thief the first act will be the story of the woodchuck act one daniel and ezekiel find woodchuck in trap well daniel i see that we have caught the woodchuck what shall we do with him i think that we should kill him i think we should take him into the woods and let him go let us take the matter to father and let him settle it go to father father we have caught the woodchuck and we do not know what to do with him we have brought the matter to you to settle ezekiel wants to kill him and i want to let him go well boys we will hold a court i will be the judge and you will be the lawyers one defend the case another prosecute ezekiel you may speak first you are the prosecutor i think we should kill the woodchuck if we let him go he will be just as much trouble as ever well if we kill him he can't eat any more cabbages and we can sell his skin for at least ten cents, and small as that sum is, it will help pay for some of the cabbage that he has eaten, so in either way he is of more value dead than alive. Very good, Ezekiel. Now, Daniel, we will hear from you. God made the woodchuck. He made him to live in the bright sunlight and the pure air. He made him to enjoy the free air and the good woods. The woodchuck is not a fierce animal like the wolf or the fox. He lives in quiet and peace. A hole in the side of a hill, and a little food is all that he wants. He has harmed nothing but the few plants which he ate to keep himself alive. The woodchuck has a right to life, to food, to liberty. For God gave them to him. Look at his soft, pleading eyes. See him tremble with fear? He cannot speak for himself, and this is the only way he can plead for the life that is so sweet to him shall we be so cruel as to kill him shall we be so selfish as to take from him the life that god gave him eskil eskil let that woodchuck go end of act one act two introduction webster one day in spring daniel webster's father took daniel to exeter academy to prepare for college all the boys laughed at his rustic dress and manners he finally entered dartmouth college at the age of fifteen 
he was the best student there all the students liked him at the age of eighteen he gave a fourth of july oration in his college town after he had finished at dartmouth he taught school in order to help his parents send his older brother to school later he entered christopher gore's law office he studied very hard and won name and fame as a lawyer the approach of the war of eighteen twelve brought him into politics he was elected to congress and took his seat in eighteen thirteen introduction henry clay henry clay was born in virginia at the year of burgoyne's surrender seventeen seventy seven his father died when he was four years old little henry lived near the slashes the name given to a low flat region and went to school in a log cabin he worked on a farm to do his share in the support of the family sometimes he would be seen barefooted behind the plough or else riding a horse to mill from this he was called the mill boy of the slashes at fourteen he was a clerk in a store but he was made for better use he was put in the office of a famous lawyer who was a clerk in one of virginia's courts he went to richmond and studied law there he formed a debating club and was made leader from here he went to lexington there his rise in law was rapid his fame grew and he was known as a lawyer who seldom lost his case he was elected to the house of representatives and was made speaker as speaker he helped to bring on the war of eighteen twelve introduction john c calhoun calhoun was born in the same year as webster seventeen eighty two he was born in south carolina his parents were scotch-irish he learned more from the woods than he did from books and filled his memory before people could fill it at the age of eighteen he began to prepare for college with the aid of his brother-in-law a presbyterian minister two years later he entered yale college studied hard and soon graduated with much honor he studied law for three years a year and a half in his own state and a year and a half in connecticut he began to practice law in south carolina he did not have much success perhaps the law was too dry for him or perhaps because he was soon to be elected to congress in eighteen eleven he was married and elected to congress henry clay speaker immediately put calhoun on an important committee the next act will be john c calhoun daniel webster and henry clay speaking of the war of eighteen twelve clay speaker members of congress and fellow citizens england has been at war with france for a number of years france under napoleon has secured a large part of europe england has tried in various ways to injure france by proclaiming that no ships of any nation shall trade with france napoleon retorted issuing a decree that no ships shall trade with europe and these laws hurt american commerce shall we stand this or demand our rights gentlemen i say we must fight on to canada i think we should be careful about going to war with great britain she has a thousand war vessels while the united states has only ten or twelve first-class vessels england's troops are numerous well drilled and have had much experience 
our troops are few and poorly disciplined and unused to war i think all matters in dispute could be arranged without fighting we would make a great mistake to fight england and france at the same time the british in taking our men have made it a practice to stop american merchant ships and seize the best sailors they claim these men are british citizens and could be rightfully seized whenever they see a fine-looking seaman they say you are an englishman we will take you we must fight with the navy if the war must be continued go to the ocean there the united wishes and exertions of the nation will go with you even our party divisions end at the water's edge we have tried in various ways to induce england and france to change these laws these are not the only grievances we have england has a large navy she needs many sailors when our ships were in her parts she has seized our men and forced them on her ships is this right must we stand such treatment no so we call forth the patriotism and resources of our country to help us end of act two act three introduction from eighteen nineteen to eighteen twenty one congress was debating over the missouri compromise the north opposed and the south favored the excitement spread to the state legislature and to the people many meetings were held finally henry clay succeeded in getting congress to pass the missouri compromise this act admitted missouri as a slave state hayne had spoken against the protective tariff and for nullification and daniel webster felt called upon to reply so he made a great speech his speech was considered by good judges the best ever delivered in congress he was probably the greatest orator of his time south carolina refused to pay the tariff in eighteen thirty two and nullified the law of congress president jackson hurried the army and navy to make her pay john calhoun was for nullification he said to save the south from the north a state had a right to nullify a law of congress the third act will be henry clay daniel webster and john c calhoun speaking on the right of nullification gentlemen we have been debating on the right of a state to nullify we must think of this matter in a calm manner it is one of the most serious times of our country our union is in danger we have heard mr haynes speak a nullification also mr calhoun congress has no right to force another state to pay a tariff and we declare a state has a right to nullify president jackson says the federal union must and shall be preserved he has warned the people of south carolina that any attempt at resistance will be put down with a high hand we of the north feel that this must be done in order to save the union tariff is helpful to the north but not to the south there is always a difference between the north and south and we of the south feel that nullification is right to save us from the north mr calhoun the southern people using slave labor will raise more tobacco and cotton than they need so the tariff is hurtful to them the northern people using free labor will manufacture all kinds of things and the tariff is helpful to them the southern people are for agriculture the northern people for manufacturing the southern are for slavery and the northern are for free labor 
To protect the South from the North, the state has the right to nullify a law of Congress. The state has the right because the state is above the nation. The states made the Constitution. I believe that nullification is a means of saving the Union from secession. That is the way I feel, gentlemen. Nullification is right. Mr. Clay? Mr. Webster? We must not let South Carolina refuse to obey the laws of the Union. For if she does, she leaves the Union. If South Carolina leaves the Union, other states will also leave. Gentlemen of Congress, nullification is another name for secession. When my eyes shall be turned to behold for the last time the sun in heaven, may I not see him shining on the broken and dishonored fragments of a once glorious nation. But may I see our flag, without a single stripe erased or polluted, not a single star obscured, but everywhere spread all over in characters of living light, that sentiment dear to every American heart, liberty and union, now and forever one and inseparable. Gentlemen, I offer a compromise, hoping it will please both the North and South. I propose that the tariff be gradually reduced till 1842, when all duties shall be 20% on the value of the articles imported. I think, gentlemen, this will be a solution of the question. We will debate on it at the next meeting. End of Act 3 Act 4 Introduction It was in 1848 that our country declared war on Mexico and won it with a great victory for the American army. The Treaty of Peace with Mexico gave the United States all the territory then known as Alta, Upper California, and New Mexico. The North and the South disputed over this territory. The South said, it must be open to slavery. The North said, it must be free. The quarrel grew so bitter that many men thought the Union would be destroyed. Kentucky legislature sent Clay back to the United States Senate by a unanimous call, Democrats as well as Whigs joining in the vote. It was a proud moment for the old man. Webster then went back to the United States Senate, where he joined Clay in supporting the Great Compromise of 1850. Calhoun opposed the compromise. The last act will be Clay, Webster, and others talking on the Compromise of 1850. Gentlemen, for many days we have been debating on the serious question of the danger of the South leaving the Union. Mr. Clay will read his compromise. Mr. Clay enters on arm of friend. He is an old man now. Mr. President and gentlemen, I believe that the Union is in danger of destruction, but if we can again compromise, I think it can be saved. This is what I propose. First, that California shall be admitted as a free state. Second, that the slave trade be stopped in the District of Columbia. This should please the North. To please the South, first, I propose that all federal officers be given authority to hunt for slaves that have escaped to the North, and without trial or jury be returned to their masters. Second, I propose that the new territories coming in as states decide for themselves whether they shall be free or slave. The fugitive slave law reads thus, Any slave escaping to the North might be seized wherever found and brought before a United States judge. He cannot give testimony or prove that he is not a slave. 
all citizens are commanded to aid in the capture of the fugitive are we willing to accept mr clay's clause in this compromise as for myself gentlemen i do not no gentlemen i do not think that we should accept this many of these people have escaped into the north and are living peaceably as free men if the law goes into effect we will have men who for money will go into the north and return these people to slavery there is a higher law even than an act of congress it is the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you i say sir we should have our slaves returned we need our slaves badly mr calhoun's speech is read i believe from the bottom of my soul that this measure is the reunion of the union mr clay's country is virginia he does not understand that we of the south need slaves if we of the south can't keep our slaves we will leave the union the honorable senator speaks of virginia being my country this union is my country but even if my own state should raise the standard of disunion i would go against her i would go against kentucky much as i love her mr calhoun's speech mr president mr calhoun is ill i have a speech he wishes to be read honorable senator read mr calhoun's speech mr calhoun's speech gentlemen of congress the union is in danger today on account of the abolitionists they have stirred up strife all agitation against slavery should be stopped the relation existing between the two races has existed for two centuries we cannot permit it to be destroyed slavery is a good a positive good there should be an equal division of territory between the north and south if you of the north will not do this then let our southern states separate and depart in peace having faithfully done my duty to the best of my ability both to the union and my section i shall have the consolation that i am free from all responsibility mr president mr webster i wish to speak today not as a massachusetts man nor as a northern man but as an american and a member of the united states senate i speak today for the preservation of the union hear me for my cause i speak from an anxious heart for the return of the peace and quiet of this union i should rather have heard that this union should never be dissolved than that word secession secession peaceable secession sir your eyes and mine will never see that miracle sir i see as plainly as i see that sun in heaven that secession means a war it means a war a war i cannot describe End of Webster, Clay, and Calhoun.